I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. And welcome back to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. And uh, welcome back to Billy Crystal Month. Uh, this week's selection was the 1995 film Forget Paris, mm-hmm. um, which I have probably not seen since 97 or 98. Maybe I saw it once in the early 2000s, you know, when it was on cable TV or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been quite a while since I've seen this movie, and I forgot a few parts of the movie. Um, in fact, when we decided to forget Paris tonight, I kind of was like, eh, I don't really remember this film, but as soon as it started running, I remembered this mm-hmm. film. Um, but yeah, this was your first time seeing this film? Yeah, unless I forgot a previous viewing. Uh, I've actually seen bits and pieces of it. This was a ubiquitous like TBS, TNT movie in the late 90s, early 2000s, so I'd seen not very much of it at all, just, just enough to be kind of aware of it. But I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a fun film. It's it's easily enjoyable. It's pretty consistent pacing, and and it delivers comedy throughout. Yeah, I laughed a lot more than I usually laugh in a movie. Yeah, at this movie, and there was something about seeing Billy Crystal at the top of his game, and just I think also current comedies they don't they don't really seem to have tone. as many laugh out moments. And there's something about Billy Crystal's sense of humor which is drier and subtler which I think is funnier than when they're trying too hard to make you laugh. Yeah. So, sometimes it's just the witticism of it and the delivery is there, what pushes this over the edge into an actual laugh. To me, sometimes there seems to be a gap between, you know, like the Martin shorts, the Martin, Steve Martins, Mike Myers, you know, the, that the kind of generation of comics uh, to comedians making films now today. And I don't know what it is. And that's a common complaint that I think you always have where people are like, well, the films today. Well, but... it's, I wouldn't say that in general, but comedies in general, mm-hmm. like nowadays, that in particular on, stands on, out for me. Like, if I were to choose blindly a comedy from the 20-teens or comedy from the 90s, it's like you can choose one. I'd easily choose the 90s comedy. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be a more reliable laugh for me. Especially a rom-com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which this is what it's classified as and... and Yes, this is not the first rom-com Nate and I have watched together. Yeah. But yeah, this was a good film. Uh, Billy Crystal not only stars in it, he also directed it and wrote, uh, co-wrote it. It's a very interestingly structured movie. Yeah. Because they're taking, obviously rom-coms have been done, in a sense, to death. And they wanted to make this uh, fresh. Mm-hmm. And so they have a really interesting kind of structure narrative uh, where there's a number of the friends of the lead couple, which is played by uh, Billy Crystal and Deborah Winger. So Joe Montaigne and Sylvia Stevens, Cynthia Stevenson are getting married mm-hmm. and they're at a restaurant in Los Angeles and they're joined by friends played by Richard uh, Mauser, Julie Kavner, and later uh, John Spencer and Kathy Moriarty. And uh, they are telling Cynthia Stevenson the story of their friends, Mickey and Ellen, uh, Crystal and Winger, about their long, kind of complicated relationship, about how they met in Paris. And there's a funny story about how he, uh, Billy Crystal, was taking his dad, who'd walked out of on the family when he was a kid, so he was never very close to his dad, but his dad had wished to be buried in France with some war buddies from World War II. So he takes the body there, but the body is lost by the airline. By the airline, it ends up in Switzerland by like mistake. Like the ultimate like airline lost luggage gag. Uh, yeah, and the woman from the airline who's supposed to help him through this is Deborah Winger, and they just click, and the movie chronicles this relationship over the course of 
years. About four years. And actually, there's a there's a moment, uh, there's a scene, uh, the Wilt, Sh- uh, not the Wilt Chamber, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar yeah. scene. And they state that this is his farewell, farewell tour. And yep. I Googled, so his farewell season was 1989. So the narrative of this 1995 film is roughly 1989 to 1993-94. Yeah. Kind of neat accurate. to place it in time. Yeah. And I, there's a lot of basketball cameos because Billy Crystal is a, a basketball referee. coach. This is really a film that not could... Not a coach, o- a referee. Not a, yeah, you're right, a referee. Yeah. But it's a film... Like, I can't imagine anybody else in this film than Billy Crystal. Like, it's a very specifically crafted for Billy Crystal film. Well, do you know how this film... How he got the idea for this film? No. Um, you know, in a moment of art mirroring life, Billy Crystal and his wife Janice were hanging out in a restaurant with friends when they got the idea for the film. Mm. And they were there with their friends and they were hanging out, reliving funny moments and talking about the realities of marriage after the honeymoon's over. Uh, and in this creating film... Creating this film, Crystal was joined by writers Lowell Gantz, Babylon Mandel, and longtime collaborator Rob Reiner. And based on that idea of just telling those stories in a restaurant with his wife and her friends, that's how they came up with the the whole idea of this movie. It's such a unique, idiosyncratic, very Billy Crystal-specific story. Yeah. Well, and it flashes back and forth between uh, the restaurant and them telling the story and then the actual Mm. scenes, you you know, living it out and things like that. It does feel very Billy Crystal looking mm-hmm. back at it, mm-hmm. but it was it was very well done. It was just well it's got executed. a nice it's got a nice arc to it. Yeah, my problem early on was there didn't seem to be conflict, and I was enjoying it, but I was a little bit bored at the same time. I was like, "Where is this going?" And then, but Billy Crystal always establishes the movie, gets it going for you yeah. before he's going to introduce the because the conflict. The, the whole thing in Paris could have been its own movie. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that it wasn't the fact that, oh, that's just act one. Yeah. And here's further complication and complication, um, enriched it and made it about something other than the meat cute and was funny. And as I mentioned before, this is a very witty movie. Yeah. I laughed a lot. Yeah. Well, and it's, I thought it was great structuring wise, like as each different couple, arrives at the restaurant, they kind of they start, well, did you telling, did bits you tell and them about this? About and, this you know, part. And, yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, it just kept the whole thing going. And it's going. a good group. I like those actors. And well, I just and like then the at the end, they bring in the total stranger. Yeah, the total stranger that yeah. shows up about the Knicks game. Yep. yep and then the Knicks good. lost. Billy Crystal actually grew up with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, really? That's why they used that that part of it as the plot. But I mentioned to Nate, I had one little piece of trivia for him. This won one award. Oh, what did it win? Would you, do you have any guesses as to what this might have won? Some kind of funny award. No. This won the Silver Ribbon Award for Best Male Dubbing. Okay. <laughs> and there's a story there. <laughs> but yeah, I thought when I read that, I, I thought that was is this Is this for like a foreign release, or do you know anything more about this? No, it doesn't say... It doesn't... IMDb doesn't provide any more information mm-hmm. about that. It was for, uh, to Luca Biagini yeah. for the voice of Billy Crystal. Yeah, it's got to be one so, of those. Oh, it's the Italian National Syndicate of Film Journalists is who is the body that awarded this award. It's, so it's, that's funny that they yeah. exist. I'm just curious. Would you have guessed? Would you guess this was a commercial success? You know what? I looked, so I, I'm gonna cheat. It was not. It uh, it it made about like. 150% what it cost to make, something like that. Like, it was maybe a modest success, but if you factor in... So I'm seeing that it has a 5.8... Um, had a $5.8 million 
uh, opening weekend domestically and grossed $33 million. I have like um, a $22 million budget. I'm not actually seeing the budget in what I was looking at. Yeah, what I'm looking at doesn't provide me the budget numbers. Where did you find the budget? Uh, Wikipedia. Wikipedia says $21 million budget, $33 million at the box office. You had an advertisement that's got to be around a break-even point, I would think. Yeah. Maybe not so bad in the 90s. Maybe advertising didn't cost so much. But I would think that this movie just seems like something that would have been rented back in the rental days. Yeah. It's like it's a safe bet rent rental. Well, I think it probably would have made sufficient money because, like you said, it's a movie that would have gotten, been rented quite a bit. And then it's, syndi- it's cable syndication. Yeah, it was in, it was in rotation a lot. Yeah. So I think it probably had to have made the studio a sufficient amount of money, but... I mean, as long as it breaks even in the box office. And it wouldn't have been... And $21 million is not an expensive movie to make. I mean, there's no giant set pieces yeah. in this movie. I mean, they have to go to Paris. Well, and they have all the NBA stars. And they have the NBA stars. Who make very brief cameos. I would imagine most of those were more or less improvised. I, yeah, to some extent. And they I mean, probably, just like Billy Crystal, is going to take 20 minutes at the beginning of the game, and he's just going to do some stick. Yeah. And, uh, and all you got to do is throw I'll, a camera I'll, or two on the court. I'll bet there's a lot of uh, extra footage because there's really not that much. There's kind of a montage sequence is what most of that is. Yeah. Uh, but I bet there's a lot of stuff that was left on the cutting room yeah. floor, which maybe one day will end up on YouTube. That would that would be entertaining. Kind of a unique credit in this film. And I guess you, you might be aware of this. There is a credit in the film for the lighting of the Eiffel Tower. Have you ever heard of that before? Mm, well, I know that it lights up. Well, apparently, uh, Paris officials require you to credit lighting of the Eiffel Tower in order to allow the Eiffel Tower to be shown in a film. Okay. So that's a credit that's there. That's I'm assuming unique. that there must be a bunch of movies that have that credit as a mm. result. But, yeah. Superman 2? But yeah, I mean, any other main thoughts or anything else in particular that stands out about this film? No, I mean, it it was it was it was it was fun. It as I've said multiple times, it, funnier than than the average film. Yeah. Um, it was just pleasant. There, there's not uh, obviously it says a lot about relationships. Yeah. Um, but most of it, like there, there, it's a good film, but it's not a super deep film. Like, I, there's not a lot to plummet. It's pretty much all there on the surface. You kind of get what it's about. Uh, it does a good job. I was going to ask you, though, about what you thought of the chemistry between Billy Crystal and Deborah Winger. Did you think that worked? Uh, for the most part, yeah. It didn't It didn't have to be overly strong for what this film was. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this was no um, When Harry Met Sally. Mm-hmm. This is no When Harry Met Sally, but um, for what this film is, I thought it worked relatively well enough. It was adequate, but not great. Yeah. Like, I don't think it entirely worked. Well, did you know after this, Deborah Winger takes herself out of rotation as far as leads, and she um, she didn't take a lead acting role for another six years after this? Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, they both did a fine job. Uh, Crystal is more natural, obviously. Winger's given it a, a very valiant effort, and she's good in it, but I just didn't feel it fully clicked between yeah. them. Well, and kind of a little, this is kind of a, a tangent, but funny side story. Her father in the film, William uh, yeah. Hickey Arthur, um, that little bit, that little shtick that he does, that has been a long-running gag in my family, and I actually forgot what movie it even came from. Oh, really? But around my parents' house, a lot of times, somebody will just walk around and go, you asked for it, you got it, Toyota. <laughs> 
We'll just do that randomly around my parents' Indeed. house. I, and like I said, I totally spaced out what movie that came that, from. That uh, there's a number of faces in this and bits parts that the names don't immediately come to mind. This in this case it was William Hickey, and you see him and you're like, oh, it's the guy that set the tree on fire yeah. in Christmas Vacation. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious if you recall off the top of your head how many characters in this movie uh, are play characters in The Simpsons. Well, uh, Julie mm-hmm. Kevner. Yeah. I'm getting the name wrong. Julie Kavner. Kavner, yeah. Um, yeah, I recognize the name. It took a little bit for me to put the name in the face, but she said some lines like, oh, Marge. Yep, yeah. Did you catch any of the others? Joe Man- uh Oh, Joe Montaigne, Montaigne yeah. yeah. Fat Tony. Yeah, and then Dan Castanaletta uh, mm-hmm. uh, also does a character on who the was Cat? Who was mad in that? This movie. Ron Howard's brother was in it as the exterminator. Oh yeah, for the uh, the Very bird briefly. scene, the pigeon yeah. scene. Pigeons, one of a pigeon on your face kind of day. That was a pretty oh, good. Oh, and Rush bit. Limbaugh's. Uh, yeah, Rush Limbaugh weird uh, kind of cameo appearance when he wasn't quite as divisive, I guess, in '95, maybe. Dan Castellana is the man driving the Subaru. Castellaneta. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what. He, that's who he was. Was the guy driving the Subaru? Mm-hmm. No wonder I couldn't find him. Yeah. yeah. Well, he says he's uncredited. Yeah. Well, that's what I meant. Like, if he's uncredited, that was also a pretty funny scene when when he's losing it and they're test driving the mm-hmm. Subaru. Yeah, this has a lot of really funny moments. Yeah, a little. Uh, I, I mean, they're just you... kind of they're just kind of. Uh, it gives a framework to take these little moments. Yeah. And kind of uh, patch them together that are just kind of funny little. It's a series of bits that. Yeah, bits. Billy Crystal just wanted to weave mm-hmm. together. And that only could have been elusive. Yeah. A mm-hmm. plot to be able to tie together. And I wonder how long some of these had been kind of germinating. I don't know. And it's like, oh, this is the movie where I can do the uh, run the sperm to the sperm bank scene. Yeah. And, which was also hilarious. Which was funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you very consistently laugh at this, but you kind of mentioned like you saw this uh, or in clips, you saw clips of this on TBS and TNT. Mm-hmm. This is also one of those movies that reminds you of like that TNT instant classic mm-hmm. type of film, you know, and you can see it's why it likeable. would be considered an instant classic and why it could have been played on repeat on cable for a number of years. Um, you kind of miss that nowadays. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess nobody, neither one of us is really watching TNT or TBS yeah. anymore, but um, maybe they are doing it and we're missing it. But yeah, that's that's kind of the elk of, of what this reminds me of. But yeah. I also love that little, op- the opening sequence. The lady at the at the organ. Oh yeah, and then it's she's playing the organ at the basketball really game, loud. and it's just kind of like, what is this? Yeah, it's like oh, and that really is a great little kind of tone setter because really that's kind of what the movie is. It's kind of a big misdirect of a thing. Yeah, you think it's just going to be the meet cute, and then it's like this is the stuff that happens after the happily ever after, and. Uh, the the give and take uh, of a marriage relationship. Yeah. Um, I'd definitely watch this one again. What would you rate this film? Uh, I'd give it three stars. Yeah. And I was kind of fluctuating throughout the film. I mean, early on, I'm like, I don't know. And then it just kind of uh, got richer and more, and, you know, enjoyable. And I was able to add some heft, something to anchor the, the gags together, yeah. which I felt like the first, 20 30 minutes didn't have and i was yeah. kind of grasping for something uh but yeah i'd, I'd three star this thing probably give it seven out of ten yeah i think we're pretty much in the same camp on this uh which puts us pretty close to the imdb rating which is six and a half stars um 
but yeah, so we're just slightly better than I, you know, think a slightly higher opinion than I those on IMDb. But it's yeah, uh, it's, it's Rotten Tomatoes film. score was actually only about fifty percent. Really? Yeah, that kind of surprises me. It seems to me like Rotten Tomatoes is more hit and miss than IMDb on the ratings, but that's that could be a fluke. And this so. might also be one that when it came out in the mid nineties, people are asking this. Yeah, and that maybe in retrospect on revisiting. I mean, we're doing a twenty fifth anniversary recording. I didn't even and we think didn't of even that. think about that. Yeah, uh, looking back on it, uh, it's quite likable. Yeah, I wonder if this will have any uh, play this year. Well, it's going to be hard to predict. It's hard to predict the theaters being what yeah. they are right now. So yeah, we need to we need to bring <laughs> something in. What do we got that we can say is an anniversary showing? Yeah. Well, actually, I, I don't know if you've heard this, but uh, Megaplex uh, is doing a thing where you can run out for a private screening. So uh, when they started allowing people back in, the group size was 20. So you can contact uh, Megaplex and run out a theater and bring in 20 people. And they provide uh, either a movie that was in the theaters when they shut down or a classic movie uh, and 20 large drinks and 20 large popcorns. Hmm. Uh, all for a set price and you can just bring in your group and then they sanitize the theater afterwards and this might be a fun one to to get in the theater so yeah anyways any other uh, closing thoughts on this film cool well i'm rob and i'm nate and we will see you back next week for another billy crystal film your name is rob it's a good thing you reminded me i'm rob and i'm ezekiel (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I'm Ezekiel, so you said. Yeah.
quick 20 minutes with editing. Mm-hmm. That'll be a little bit shorter. Yeah. Yeah. That was a fun film. Not a lot to say, but it was fun. Yeah, fun. exactly. That was kind of a thought I had early on. It's like, we may have to just talk about just other things we've been watching after we're done with this, because I don't know if I'm going to have that much to say about it. Yeah. Um, there's a certain subcategory of films that are just, I haven't come up with a great word to describe them, but they're, they're all on the surface. They're like, it's all there. Like you don't have to plummet down. It's just there. Yeah. It told, it told you what it wanted to communicate. The one that comes to mind was, uh, from forever ago was flight 93. Oh yeah. Like I watched it and I'm like, that is what it is. It's like, I, I, I don't have anything to add. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. probably the first time Flight 93 and Forget Paris has been compared. <laughs> it's not even September either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. 